the legendary superpowers show. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 142 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I am going to conclude my coverage of Super Friends, the Legendary Superpowers Show, or Season 8, the 1984 season. And I'm going to close things out with uh, four stories in the first segment, The Case of the Dreadful Dolls, The Royal Ruse, and in the second segment, The Village of Lost Souls, and The Curator. Both are 11-minute stories, and uh, this week signals the end of this particular format of the show, as the show will be revamped again in Season 9, which is also the final season of the Season of Super Friends, so I'm really barreling full speed here toward the end of an era. After this episode is complete, there'll be an off week, and then coverage of 1984 Supergirl, another week off, coverage of Season 9, The Galactic Guardians, and then I'll probably take another week off before releasing my coverage of Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. And that, like I said, takes us to an end of an era. The uh, I've been covering Super Friends for well over a year now, with the four Christopher Reeve movies kind of sprinkled throughout the series. So those two things together kind of create kind of a mini section of this podcast, spanning from 1973 to 1987. And then, I don't know what my plans are, but I might take a small hiatus after the uh, conclusion of Superman 4 coverage just to build some episodes uh, kind of up in the can so I can come back stronger with uh, what will really be an interesting time. Com- at first, combining the overlap of the Ruby Spears show and the Adventures of Superboy, and then just kind of launching from there and into the 90s where, you know, Superman content just keeps continuing to come out. But before I get to the business of this week's episode, I have feedback to address. Feedback, as always, is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 131. Dave writes... Greetings, Mike. I think that the short story lengths for the 1981 season will lead to lesser stories overall, as was the case in the previous seasons. Of the first week's stories, I think Three Wishes had the most potential, but didn't take it very far. I like the idea of finding a genie and getting Three Wishes, but I think most people have read or seen enough such stories that they know to be extremely careful in formulating their wishes. In this story, the Wonder Twins simply learned the most basic lesson. Be careful what you wish for. Of the second week's stories, I must agree with you that it just seems wrong to have a Mixias Pitalik story that doesn't involve Superman. Annoying Superman seems to be his whole reason for existing, so why bother annoying the other Superfriend? Also, I wish the writers or voice actors had taken time to learn the proper pronunciation of, quote-unquote, of Mixias Pitlick, but I can't go back in time to convince them to fix it. Sinkhole was a bit more original, but I was disappointed that Superman didn't fight the giant robot snake. Nothing against the Atom, but it's hard to beat Superman punching a giant robot. Alien Mummy presents something new to me. I wasn't watching Saturday morning cartoons in 1981, so I'd never seen or even heard of El Dorado. He sounds like he could have been an interesting character. I'll have to check out any more appearances with the Super Friends to see if he is well used on the show. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, Dave, uh, thank you for uh, writing in. Just a couple of comments on uh, Dave's letter. Yeah, as far as the Three Wishes thing, just about everybody has seen enough of those stories that they should know the wishes never really end well for them. And did Dave and I seem to be in agreement on the use of uh, Mixius Pitalik uh, not annoying Superman? Although Dave is uh, still uh, hung up on uh, the Mixias Pitlick, Mixelplick thing. But you know what? I've kind of given up the ghost on that. And honestly, I find that even though I'm closer than Super Friends ever hoped to get, not that they really tried very hard, but even I mispronounce uh, his name a lot of the time. Actually, the first verbal pronunciation I heard of the character's name was on Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, the uh, season four 
Christmas episode, of which the name was escaping me. It was was the night before Mixmas or something like that. But anyway, in that episode, he pronounced it Mixias Pitalik instead of Mixias Pitlick. So that's usually the uh, pronunciation that I go with. Mixias Pitalik instead of Mixias Pitlick, which is a lot closer than the Super Friends ever hoped to get. So, And it is splitting hairs, but there it is. And uh, as far as uh, Dave... Uh, Checking out more appearances to see if uh, El Dorado was more used. El Dorado is, you know, one of the characters that was created for the show. And one of the things Super Friends did was heavily highlight the characters that it created. They, we got more Black Vulcan, uh, Apache Chief, and uh, Samurai action than really anybody ever wanted or asked for. So El Dorado got plenty of use himself. And I believe we're going to see some pretty good uses of El Dorado going forward in this episode's coverage. So with that being said, let's take a break. I'll play a podcast promo and then we'll come back with the case of the dreadful dolls and the Royal Ruse. Hang around folks. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan. How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure. Got to give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? (laughs) Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. (laughs) Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about Cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. <laughs> Cheers Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of October 22nd, 1984. And we're going to start with The Case of the Dreadful Dolls. And this was written by Richard H. Fogel Jr. And our synopses are brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The doll maker makes dolls of the Super Friends, making them commit crimes and return to his hideout. By molding this magic mud into a Batman doll, I control his every movement. And what could be sweeter revenge than using Super Friends to commit my crimes for me? <laughs> nasty. All right, Batman, you will now take the painting to the corner of Center and Front Street. He first has Batman steal from a museum. Then he uses Wonder Woman and Firestorm, then Superman. When he uses Robin to capture El Dorado, El Dorado manages to set, up, to set off a fire alarm to activate sprinklers, destroying the dolls. Feeling a little boxed in? Just wait till you get back in prison. See, si, senor. A long stay behind bars should teach you never to toy with the super plants again. Okay. First and foremost, this episode's villain is the doll maker. And his gimmick, I guess, it's not really a power, is that he molds this magic clay to create dolls of his victims, in this case the superheroes, to get them to do their bidding, almost like a voodoo type of thing. The uh, magical properties of the mud or clay or whatever it is gives him powers over the person whose figure he's representing. So he is uh, basically making 
dolls to control the actual people. There is an actual villain called the Doll Maker in DC Comics right now. His gimmick is a little bit different and far more sinister. He has appeared in adapted media on Arrow, on the CW, and on Gotham on Fox. And basically his gimmick is he's trying to turn people into dolls. There was an entire episode of Arrow where he was trying to turn uh, Laurel Lance into a uh, into a doll for some reason that episode was so long ago i don't remember why i don't remember why he was doing what he was doing and i believe he showed up in the first season of gotham or maybe the second season with jada pinkett smith's character fish mooney it's been forever since i've watched any gotham so i don't know how important he was to that show so on to our story which starts in the Batcave with batman and robin bringing some piece of equipment into the Batcave when batman is suddenly enveloped in this ray and he seems to be hypnotized by it and bear in mind, whatever they were carrying requires both of them to carry it. And Batman just leaves it with Robin, and there's some lost comedy in uh, Robin faltering and then dropping the equipment on his toe or something, which would amuse a kid to no end, but that doesn't happen here. You just kind of see him wobble a little bit. So Batman steals something from an art museum, and Robin is going to investigate it in the Whirly Bat. So here is a doll maker who I believe shares a voice with uh, Mr. Mixius Pitalik, who was mentioned in Dave uh, McElvenny's letter. And like I said, he's made a voodoo doll of Batman and uh, the magic properties of the clay or the mud. Like I said, forcing Batman here to do the doll maker's bidding. But Batman is hypnotized and now he's sending wooden soldiers after Robin and El Dorado, who was apparently the only super friend at home when Robin called the Hall of Justice. But they're not having much luck either as Batman uh, beats them with some bat gas. So even hypnotized, Batman is uh, able to take out Robin and El Dorado relatively easily. And apparently the... Super friends have some history with the doll maker, as Wonder Woman recognizes his uh, method of operation. Tin soldiers, wind up jeeps. Sounds like our old foe, the doll maker. Impossible. He's still in prison. At least we think he is. Perhaps we should check, just to be sure. Good idea, Eldorado. We'll pay doll maker a visit. The rest of you stay here and monitor the city for any sign of Batman. I just hope he's all right. And uh, he must be a recent villain of theirs because Firestorm points out that he's in prison. He either was involved in the previous case, which was unseen, that sent the Dollmaker to prison, or maybe he read about it in the uh, Super Friends files or something. I don't know. Well, but apparently he should be in prison. My guess is going to be that he isn't. So While Robin is worried about Batman, the Dollmaker is about to make some more dolls to control both Wonder Woman and Firestorm. So, like I said, there's something in the clay, and that gives the Dollmaker control over the heroes so the so robin's having a really bad day as while they're under the dollmaker's spell wonder woman and firestorm just walk out of the hall of justice and gotta leave him there by himself so el dorado and superman are show up at the uh prison that uh, the dollmaker is supposed to be in guess what he's not he left a robot in this place because that's what you do when the dc comics world when you escape from prison you leave a robot in your cell so that nobody realizes that you're not in prison anymore so the uh magic clay makes firestorm and wonder woman into jewel thieves and We've got super friends stopping super friends because they're under mind control, not because, you know, for no reason at all, which has always been one of my bugaboos about Marvel Comics. It's kind of a staple that the uh, superheroes just fight for no apparent reason. They both show up, they fight because they're both in the same place and have, you know, have to have a dick measuring contest. But anyway, the uh, super friends that, the, that are fighting are mind controlled and not mind controlled and, well, 
This is because the problem has to be solved, not because uh, somebody uh, is standing to the left of where he should be. So Firestorm out with Superman, it turns some tires into Kryptonite, and uh, that gives Wonder Woman a chance to escape the uh, net that she was covered with. So, not a good day for the remaining Super Friends in the least. So, back at the uh, Hall of Justice, Robin, Superman, and Eldorado, who all managed to escape, are doing some computer detective work trying to track their friends. Because this is only an 11-minute episode, so we need the uh, computer to move the plot along. Let's see now. Batman was traveling east when he escaped. And Wonder Woman and Firestorm were heading northeast. That means Dollmaker could be hiding anywhere in the neighborhood. Question is, can we find him before any more of us fall under his influence? Ugh, suddenly feels strange. Uh-oh, I think we have the answer. Quick, Robin, hand me a bat tracer. And... One thing that kind of irritates me about this episode, and it's just, you know, as a Superman fan, it's just one of those things. Apparently, Superman can be taken over by this clay just as easily as anyone else, which I guess suggests that it has some kind of supernatural properties as opposed to scientific ones, as Superman's abilities do not protect him from magic. I don't like to say Superman is vulnerable to magic. I just like to point out that he's not protected from it, like anyone else would be. So Eldorado leaves to save the day while Robin stays uh, behind. I guess only Eldorado and his teleporting ability can keep up with Superman. So he takes a bat tracer from Robin and shows his uh, pretty good arm as he gets it to hook onto Superman's cape. And actually, a corner of the bat tracer went through Superman's cape. How it punched a hole in, as Billy Hogan would say, his red indestructible cape is unclear. But that is clearly what the artwork showed had happened. And apparently it was too small for Superman to notice. And he takes the Bat Tracer right back to the Dollmaker's hideout. And uh, while uh, he was under the sway of the Dollmaker, Superman stole some silver. Robin and Eldorado are going to, as you would imagine, follow the Bat Tracer to uh, Superman's location. And they're trapped by the Dollmaker who's waiting for them. I guess he's suspected the Bat Tracer. Now Eldorado's big play is basically to wag his finger at Dollmaker and... Robin is now spellbound. And guess what? One more Super Friends, and the doll maker has enough magic clay to make one more doll. I wonder who that's going to be a doll of. And it makes you wonder who's going to save the day if everyone's caught, doesn't it? Well, your answer is going to be Eldorado, who kicked the doll out of the doll maker's hand and then covers it with his holographic vision. Basically, he makes the, the doll maker see a whole bunch of debris sitting on top of the doll so he can't do anything with it. So it appears that Eldorado is going to save the day, and he's swinging on a rope trying to get some momentum to pull the fire alarm, and incidentally he kicks a toy fire truck into the fire alarm, setting off the sprinklers, which is not how they work, I don't think. From everything I know about uh, fire suppression systems, the sprinklers in the ceiling are triggered by smoke and fire, not by the fire alarm being pulled. So of course, Dollmaker tries to escape, and Firestorm transmutes his cycle into a jack-in-the-box, leading to all kinds of unnecessary boxed-in puns. Now... After they crack their jokes, I love the irritated look on Dollmaker's face. Yeah, he knows he's going back to prison, but to add insult to injury, he has to listen to the Super Friends' lame jokes. So, an okay episode, you know, doesn't really stand out, but it doesn't fail to entertain. Again, it's kind of annoying that this series pays more attention to the newer characters that it created other than the DC heroes that we've come to see, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. So, so now, let's move on to... The Royal Rue, and this one is also written by Richard H. Fogel Jr. And our synopsis is as follows. An alien princess comes to Earth asking the Super Friends to free her planet, which has been taken over by Darkseid. Holy hairdo, it's a girl! Super Friends, 
Thank the stars you received my signal. I am Princess Tara from Tyron 7. Darkseid's forces have overrun our small planet and taken my father, King Tim, in prisoner. You must help us. If Tyron 7 falls to Darkseid, the whole galaxy will be in danger. Of course we'll help. Oh, I knew you wouldn't fail us. Darkseid is having Calabac control the mining of crystals on the planet, and the crystals power a ray that will send planets into a negative universe. It works! I have transferred the asteroid into the negative universe! Now all we need are the crystals from Tyron 7 to become fully operational. Then you can banish any planet that dares resist you into the negative universe. Excellent. Ah, the Super Friends! They're heading for Tyron 7! So I see, Dasad. This most certainly will be... A one-way trip. After the heroes capture Kalabak, the princess betrays them using a Gorgon projector to make them statues. A toast to the super friends and to peace throughout the universe. To, to peace. peace! Tom, what's happening? I'm sorry, Robin. Tara, what is the meaning of this? Please, Father, I... I... So, my dear Tara, I see our little plan was a success. You see, King Timon, we installed a Gorgon projector under your floor. And I included a red sun filter in its design so Superman would be susceptible to its petrifying effects. Your daughter led the Super Friends right into the trap. Even the mighty Man of Steel is now only a statue of stone. How could you do this? I had no choice, Father. In exchange for the Super Friends, Darkseid has guaranteed the freedom of our planet. As long as you do not attack us first. And to think that I was a pawn in this treacherous game. Now I must determine the planet upon which to test my beam. Why, I know the perfect place, Darkseid, and it's right here in this very system, right under our noses. You wouldn't dare! Not Tyron 7! You dare attack Darkseid! I do believe this constitutes a breach of our agreement, sire. Correct this heart. Tyron 7 shall be our test planet. She thought capturing them would mean Darkseid would leave her planet, but when Darkseid betrays her, she is able to free the heroes before Darkseid sends the planet into the negative universe. Once again, I'd like to thank you for saving Tyron 7. Please forgive me for leading you into Darkseid's trap. I only wanted to save my planet from his control. Well, I hope you've learned you can't compromise with evil. Right. True freedom can't be bargained for. It must be earned. I know that now, thanks to you, Super Friends. I wonder if we've really seen the last of Darkseid. Imbeciles! I almost had them! Calm down, sire, calm down! Ah, no matter. One day when they least expect it, I shall have my revenge! All right, so obviously this uh, the title of this story leaves, you know, nothing to the imagination here. The royal ruse basically means there's going to be some royalty and there's going to be some kind of fake out. At the very least, it's the 
title is somewhat spoilerish if you know what the word ruse means. Many kids may not, just one of those things. So, we start with some kind of ship coming toward Earth and transmitting a signal to the Hall of Justice. It's been well documented before in this show that aliens know of the Super Friends, and these are no exception as they're sending their signal right at the Hall of Justice. So, the ship crashes and the Super Friends investigate. Robin points out that it's a spaceship, uh, showing how helpful he can be in these situations. And then he points out when we see the... Uh, visitor's face that she's a girl so here we go we've got robin pointing out the obvious right off the bat so princess tara has apparently escaped her home planet which has been overrun by dark side this kind of thing is right up the super friends alley and they're all game to help them what we're gonna find out is that the king is enslaved by calabac and they're mining some crystals dark side is on his way and the side is testing out some new weapon he calls it an antimatter beam and he's going to use it to send the asteroid into the negative universe. I guess our universe is the positive universe and he's going to send it into the negative one. Basically an antimatter universe. So there was a purpose to going after this planet as the crystals will give the side's weapon more power. Basically enough to send an entire planet into the negative universe. And apparently the princess's job is to whine about how awful things are. So the super friends kind of show up on uh, her home planet, pose a little bit and get attacked, which is not very smart. But we've got a decent battle here with uh, the Super Friends trying to free the miners and uh, Kalabak showing up to repel them. Superman is quickly uh, kryptonited by Kalabak, but they do manage to free the slaves, but are then chased by some robots, which are running with their arms outstretched as if that's going to help them catch the Super Friends. Maybe they're figuring a little extra reach will help them uh, achieve their goal. So Robin hits them with a tree and Firestorm turns one into a washing machine in case you were wondering uh, what these robots purpose will be later. They will clean your white and your delicates just as well. So Firestorm saves Superman from the kryptonite, uh, showing off his worth to the Super Friends yet again. Whenever the uh, the show has a new uh, toy or hero to play with, they play with him often. You know, I've mentioned before from the Filmation Superman show on, pretty much right through to this era, the uh, Parents Council was still uh, monitoring kids' cartoons like a hawk for violence. So apparently we can't fight aliens yet. As the Super Friends show up and Superman basically blows Kalabak into a football go post that Firestorm created. So great. Not only uh, have the Super Friends beat the bad guys, Superman has gotten his team three points as well. So Kalabak is captured and there's still five minutes to go. So we're going straight from the banquet to some issue with the princess. And you know, you can tell she's looking over her shoulder. And for an episode that's titled The Royal Ruse, with five minutes to go, we have not seen a ruse yet. All the while they're having their banquet, Robin is hitting on the princess who then hits a button and traps the Super Friends in a force field and turns them to stone. So, apparently, she's working for Darkseid, and the reason is going to be revealed immediately, which is good. We don't have to sit and wonder what her motives are. As here comes Darkseid through uh, the Stargate, a boom tube to me, really, but this is a pretty clever trap, as the Sod's machine is powered by Red Sun Energy, and not only does it turn the Super Friends into stone, but the Red Sun Energy neutralizes Superman. It, when Superman in, in this era, is, or in any era, really, is exposed to the Red Sun, he loses all of his powers, and becomes no less vulnerable than anyone else. So they're going to use this new antimatter weapon on a planet, and they're going to use it on the princess's home planet of Tyron 7. Kind of gives me uh, shades of Star Wars from 1977, uh, when uh, Grandma Tarkin targets the uh, Princess Leia's home planet of Alderaan to show that the Death Star is fully operational. Kind of, the side is doing the same thing here. So apparently he and Grandma Tarkin uh, read from the same playbook. And uh, Tari is angry, and in... Her anger, she attacked Darkseid. Part of their agreement was if Darkseid and his people left Tyron 7, they would not counterattack. But 
In her anger, like I said, uh, Tara attacks Darkseid, which Darkseid turns as a violation of their agreement, and now they can destroy the planet again. Some people will do anything to justify a mass murder. Fortunately, Robin gave the princess an energy crystal, and she turns off the prison bars and uh, reverses the petrifying machine, so it took some time, but eventually the super friends came too. Now, Tara tells them that Darkseid is going to test his being, but she doesn't tell them that it's her fault. I guess there will be time at the ending for the morality play of this episode. Now, Superman goes out into space and he repels the antimatter beam, and I really like how this turns out. Superman basically crosses his wrist in front of his face and shoots the beam back at the uh, spaceship that Darkseid's on, and I like that Superman can repel this. He's larger than in charge here. It's a struggle, but only Superman can do this. You can't, you know, whip out El Dorado to take care of this. This is his job for Superman, and the Man of Steel is doing it well. Almost too well, as the feedback from Superman's efforts destroys the ship. And Superman actually thinks he did. You know, he stops suddenly, yells, Great Scott, as if you can see it on the animation's face that Superman is concerned. He actually thinks that he killed Darkseid here. It wouldn't be murder, it would be an accident, but Superman would be upset at taking any life, even Darkseid's. And we don't see them escape immediately, and that leaves the viewers in the same position as Superman, wondering if he accidentally destroyed the ship and killed his enemy. And the ending doesn't uh, really shed some light immediately, as Wonder Woman wonders if they've seen the last of Darkseid. I believe Superman says they probably haven't, and I don't know if that's... Uh, him thinking rationally or trying to uh, hope his way out of killing Darkseid and Decide. But we get an ending with the king thanking uh, them and uh, Princess Tara is sorry. Batman and Robin taught her that freedom can't be bargained with. And just as Wonder Woman wonders if they've seen the last of Darkseid, he appears on Apocalypse through a boom tube. So no need to worry about our friends from Apocalypse. They have survived. They've lived to fight the Super Friends another day. And Darkseid is pissed and Decide is telling him to calm down, which is hysterical to me. But Darkseid is going to yell at the sky some more, and he'll have his revenge eventually. We'll never see it, but maybe he will. So, not a bad episode, and the heroes performed well this time around, and I really love seeing Superman repel that energy beam. Good to see him pulling his own weight, and not uh, being overshadowed by the rest of the team. So, with that episode in the books, I'm going to take another podcast promo break. Then when I come back, I'll finish with The Village of Lost Souls and The Curator. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock in the Infinity Watch TV show, Make, make Ours Marvel. Marvel. Alright, welcome back folks. All the episodes in this segment 
had original broadcast date of October 29th, 1984. And we're going to start with The Village of Lost Souls by Douglas Booth. And both of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Your number one source for Superman information on the web. Apache Chief and the Wonder Twins stumble into a strange mystery after they rescue a young girl while hiking in the mountains. Hey, the Super Friends! Lori! Is that you? Oh no, it's my parents! Who? My parents! Thank goodness you're safe. We've been looking everywhere for you. They've changed. They don't seem the same anymore. Lori is always running away. Don't pay any attention to her foolishness. Gee, I feel sorry for Lori. She seems really worried about her folks. My sixth sense tells me she may have good reason. Following her, they enter a village where everyone seems to be in a zombie-like trance. When the Wonder Twins are captured... What's going on? <sighs> It seems that the people of this area have been possessed by an evil force. Hmm. Not even the magic of my lasso can break the spell. We must rescue the Wonder Twins in action! I may not be able to sneak into Buzzard's roost like this, but Diana Prince could. Did somebody call my name? While you infiltrate the town, I'll scout the surrounding area. One of us is bound to find them. She discovers that it's all the doing of Brainiac. How ironic that I, Brainiac, a computer robot programmed to defeat the Super Friends, should now have humans carrying out his will. You'll never get away with this, Brainiac! Your observation does not compute, Wonder Twin. As you can see, my human robots are exposing veins of electrium, which carry power from the very center of the Earth. By tapping into the electrium, I can supercharge my starship with unlimited power. Another human to do my bidding. But first, to transform my two super friends into super zombies. However, she's then captured by the zombified Wonder Twins. How fortuitous that in my brief stay on Earth, I have managed to capture three of the super friends. Zan, you must release me. When Brainiac commands, no sooner. Now that my starship is fully energized by the Electrium, my work here is complete. As you can see, I have summoned all of my human robots. They have proved so functional that I have decided to take them with me. <gasps> Those poor people! Great spirit, I have seen enough. It's now or never! Leaving Apache Chief as the only super friend left to stop Brainiac and his evil plan. Your tongue need not worry about Brainiac anymore now that he's in our custody. Thanks for all your help, super friends. How can we ever repay you? That's not necessary. All we want to do is get back to our camping trip. Look, Bleak is all dressed for the occasion. Yeah, overdressed if you ask me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
some. This is an episode that I kind of liked, and uh, I'm trying to take the recent letter from Dave McElvaney to heart about uh, not really uh, worrying about particular villains not being paired up with a certain character. Like, for instance, Brainiac is the villain of this episode, and Superman is nowhere to be found. I'm going to take all these characters as general Super Friends villains and not worry about the fact that uh, their villain is not around. If all actually, and if the villains uh, that were used had their respective hero, we'd have Superman and Batman in almost every episode. Although it was weird seeing the Mirror Master without the Flash. So we're in the Western United States and Apache Chief is leading the Wonder Twins on a tracking expedition. So he's teaching them how to track deer and uh, Gleek has found some tracks in the ground and as soon as uh, Apache Chief determines they are the tracks of a young girl running and immediately after we hear a young girl screaming for help as she's hanging from a tree branch uh, up on the uh, side of a mountain. How she got up there, I don't know. She does not appear to be an expert climber, but somehow she got there. So the twins change uh, Jaina into an Exorian eagle and uh, it looks more uh, like a dragon than an eagle, really, to be totally honest. And Zan turns into an ice bucket and together they rescue the girl. Jaina flies them up there while holding Xan at the bucket. So the Wonder Twins catch the girl, and they take her back down to the ground. Yay for them. But at least only for a few minutes, because a stiff breeze uh, kind of blows everybody away, and Apache Chief has to save everybody. So this girl, who whose name is uh, escaping me at the moment, and it's not here in my notes, she's running scared of her parents, who are two men and a woman, and they're kind of walking in lockstep, which, right off the bat, that animation showing the way... Uh, the parents are walking in lockstep with each other. It kind of reminds me of something. Makes me think of something creepy. And if you listen to their voices, they're very robotic and unfeeling. So something is definitely up here. It takes Apache Chief's uh, sixth sense to tell me what my ears told me. That there was something strange about the way these people were speaking. Whatever Apache Chief's sixth sense is, it's telling him that there's something wrong here. And in the town, the people are unhelpful. And now the young girl just seems just as robotic as everyone else. And Jaina does notice something weird on her ear before she is captured by the townspeople. Apparently there was some kind of device on her ear, which we're going to learn later is what's controlling the uh, townspeople into uh, doing whatever our villain Brainiac decides. So Gleek does himself absolutely no good as he is nearly captured. But Wonder Woman arrives on the scene not a moment too soon and wraps them in her lasso of truth. Now, while I don't normally enjoy Gleek, he did a celebration dance while watching Wonder Woman that I found amusing. However, Wonder Woman's lasso will reveal no truth today. And uh, Apache Chief suggests that maybe Diana Prince can get some answers. So Wonder Woman spins, which is a move right out of the 70s Linda Carter show. Which, at this point, was only a few years in the past. And ended in 1979, I want to say. So it was over maybe five years at this point but probably still fresh in people's minds. For those of you who don't know, uh, whenever Linda Carter needed to either switch to Wonder Woman or back to Diana Prince, she would spin around and the change would be made. Lois and Clark, the new Avengers of Superman, would make a lot of use of this with uh, Superman uh, down the line. So here's our villain, it's Brainiac, and he uh, muses about the irony of having human robots do the work for him. Now, I knew it was Brainiac before I saw him because the skull ship is right out of the comics and sent it's synonymous with Brainiac, so as soon as, as soon as I saw that, uh, Brainiac was obvious to me. So Diana is wandering around the town, and before she's roped by a few possessed people, so they are hit by some kind of ray, and uh, all of a sudden, they're summoned. So once the twins see Wonder Woman, they recognize her and attack her with their exor powers. Meanwhile, the uh, Apache chief is following some people, and the tracks go under this mountain with a rock that looks like a door. So he rips the rock away and shrinks down so he can walk in. Now, apparently, he is uh, Brainiac is charging the ship, and when he calls the humans robots, they're not really robots. They're just humans under Brainiac's spell. Well, at this point, Apache chief has had enough of Brainiac's crap, and he pulls away the stairway leading up to 
His ship and in desperation, a Bacti chief grabs one of the ship's tendrils. But when you can grow huge, that's not an issue, as he frees himself with the help of his giant-sized hand. So the damage caused by Apache Chief's move is enough to jolt the Wonder Twins back into uh, their right minds. Now Brainiac will try to get away, but I like the way Apache Chief just snatches the ship out of the air like it's a fly. So I guess uh, Brainiac is captured now or sent to some kind of intergalactic prison or something like that. Wherever supervillains on this show go, Brainiac is on his way there. So that was an interesting episode. It's not a new concept, the town being taken over by some kind of outside force. And I really enjoy the second and third tier super friends, but Apache Chief had some great moments in this episode. I especially liked when he had enough of sort of tearing Brainiac ship to pieces. Well done, Apache Chief. Well done. Not a bad episode at all. And now we're going to move on to The Curator. And our synopsis is as follows. When a host of famous landmarks suddenly disappear. The Imperial Palace! Let's go! It has vanished! Talk about grand theft! We'd better alert the Hall of Justice. We're way ahead of you, Superman. We've had our own tidal wave of disappearing landmarks. Oh no, even Lady Liberty. The Eiffel Tower. The Colosseum in Rome. Hurry back, Super Friends. This crisis is monumental. We're on our way, Batman. The Super Friends follow the trail to a planetoid on the hidden side of the moon. Get a load of all these weird buildings. As Robin would say, holy architecture. I recognize this one. It's the Crystal Galaxy Tower from the planet Crystallina. Then you know the people who carved these weird statues. Unless I am mistaken, Firestorm, these are the people of Crystallina. My X-ray vision proves you right, Samurai. These Crystallinians are in a state of suspended animation. And the same fate has befallen these bird people from the planet Avion. This place is like one big museum with buildings and people stolen from every planet in the galaxy. It's the Earth exhibit I'd like to see. I think we should separate and search by air. The museum is run by an alien called Remlar, who seeks to acquire all the universe's famous treasures, including the Super Friends, for his own collection. Right on the money, Samurai. Well, that is the last of them, except for the Hall of Justice. Let me have the honors. As soon as we've finished returning the other buildings and people to their rightful planets, we shall bring you before the Intergalactic Tribunal. They'll teach you not to take things without asking first. Oh no, not Lake Metropolis. Well, look on the bright side. The place could use a good washing. Okay, so now we've got an alien that collects things. Special things. And I must wonder, where have we seen something like that before? So I started to wonder just for a minute if uh, the curator would end up uh, being Brainiac. Well, he doesn't. So let's just uh, nip that in the bud right now. So here comes a tidal wave about to engulf Japan. And Superman, Samurai, and Firestorm are coming to save the day. Firestorm freezes the wave and Superman lifts the boats out of there. It's nice uh, seeing uh, Superman doing super things. Superman basically takes one boat in one hand, another boat in the other, and gets them the hell out of there. Samurai tries to hold the waves back with, I don't want to call it his wind power he uses, I guess his legs, I guess, to uh, spin them real fast to create a giant windstorm. But he's trying to hold the wave back, but it's not really holding back. And I love 
Seeing Superman vaporize the waves with his heat vision, there is no basis for this in real science, but I don't care. I just loved that Superman can emit such heat that he evaporates in the water. And uh, this episode is coming out about a month from the time I record this. Recently on his show, Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, uh, Magnus talked about uh, the season 7 premiere Bizarro, where Clark does something very similar to this to uh, save a family from... uh, from a tidal wave. He was uh, just as impressed with that as I am with this. Let's just say that. Really like seeing how powerful Superman is. So, and then there's a red beam and uh, the Japanese Imperial Palace has been abducted. Yes, you've you've heard that correctly. Japan's Imperial Palace has been abducted. And it's not the only one. The Super Friends reveal that the, the Statue of Liberty, Eiffel Tower, Roman Coliseum are all gone as well. And if any kids didn't know the landmarks, the narration revealed uh, to them what all the landmarks were. And I was kind of waiting for what happens next as the Red Beam steals the Hall of Justice as well. Alright, so, at this point, Firestorm and Samurai need a way to travel beyond the moon where the beam is coming from. So, Firestorm just kind of converts somebody's car into a bubble. And Superman carries that to the moon. Or beyond the moon. Now, this poor guy who we never see, he probably thinks some lowlife stole his car. But nope, the only lowlife here was firestorm transmuting his car into a space bubble that will teach him to illegally park in front of the hall of justice the lessons are harsh but they are decisive so the super friends find a planetoid and it's got a bunch of artifacts from throughout the universe you know if you're a fan of dc comics and by extension it's villains you would almost think that brainiac is behind this he's known to uh, collect uh, special specimens like i mentioned before but the odds wouldn't be good of having brainiac twice in the same half hour and we're going, we're going to eventually find that the curator is basically someone that we've never seen before. But forgive my rudeness. I am Remla, curator of the Intergalactic Museum. What gives you the right to rob the universe of its treasures? Not to mention innocent people. Don't be so short-sighted, my friends. These treasures belong to posterity. As for the people, I have given them immortality. As I am now about to give you. We're not ready to become exhibits yet. So, Firestorm is the one to find some of the uh, artifacts that have been stolen. He lands in the Hall of Justice to find everyone in suspended animation, like the other people that they had uh, run into before. Now, if you want to be amused by a funny robot, a few come along and basically dust the Super Friends. I guess they've been there long enough, they accumulate a, a layer of dust, you know, the little robot needs to come in and take care of that. Well, it does. And since the Super Friends are in suspended animation, they can't feel anything, so they're going to be dusted as though they're part of the furniture. Because they don't move a muscle to sneeze. So Firestorm puns his way through this and transmutes uh, these robots into tricycles. Apparently this alien thinks Firestorm is famous. I guess everyone on the uh, Super Friends roster is famous. He calls him the famous Firestorm, even though Firestorm is basically the new guy. And the Super Friends are even admitting that he's a new guy, which, like I mentioned in my coverage of the first episode of this season, is very different. But we do find out that it's not Brainiac, but this big-headed alien is collecting Super Friends, among a whole lot of other things he's collecting. You know, I collected Super Friends as well, but they were they came in packages with plastic and were put out by Kenner. So maybe we should turn the uh, curator onto that. He can have as many of his Super Friends as he can find on the pegboard. So apparently he's going to steal the Washington Monument next, which looks kind of short in this animation, but I guess the... Uh, animated cell drawings are not to scale so our villain steals the monument and plants it right next to the coliseum on his uh, asteroid so basically the curator is collecting treasures and the uh, stolen people have been given immortality basically what happens is they can't die while they're stuck in suspended animation which the superman doesn't like it and uh, he kicks butt for a minute that's uh, no kind of immortality that's uh almost like prison i guess stuck in a maybe a 
seemingly aware body but can't move or do anything yeah that feels like the worst kind of living death anybody can imagine so like i said superman kicks butt for a minute superman smashing robots never really gets old but of course wouldn't you know it the curator's beam is powered by a red sun energy so it can affect superman not unlike the sod's uh, antimatter ray in the royal roots episode apparently the curator has learned from the sod power your uh Machine with red kryptonite and Kryptonians don't bother you too much. So this curator makes the dumb mistake of asking Samurai if he has any last words, and that gives uh, Samurai a chance to uh, do his uh, Japanese chant and uh, get away from uh, the curator. So that tells us right off the bat that Samurai is going to save the day. And I will say it was nice of uh, Samurai to tell us, the viewers, that the robots can't detect him while he's invisible. And we know he's invisible because he's... uh, just all you see are the line drawings you don't see any uh you just see the outline of him you don't see any coloring or any uh muscle tone or anything you just see uh a ghostly figure however as far as uh samurai being uh, unable to be detected while he's invisible nope he's wrong as the robots detect him and try to clean him although i'm not sure if the robot detected him before it's just dumb luck that got samurai but a part of me wants to give these robots the benefit of the doubt and say that uh they actually detected him with their uh sensors i guess meanwhile the curator is still collecting and now he's got and now samurai got the un building dropped on him you know just kind of plopped it right on there you know like a bugs bunny cartoon in comes the un building and uh down goes samurai into the ground not unlike what happened to clark kent in superman 3 during the junkyard fight where uh the magnet just kind of uh, moved over Clark's head and a uh, little bit he vision and Clark is pounded into the ground. Something similar here was sent with uh, Samurai. But I guess uh, Samurai got away from that by channeling his way underground because that's where he, he came up from when he confronted the curator. And basically all he does is take the curator's amulet. So to end things, uh, Firestorm wants the honors of returning the Hall of Justice to its rightful place. Well, that's fine, kid, but he uh, returns it right into the middle of a lake. Not good. Nancy comments that it needed a good washing anyway, but I guess our boy Ronnie Raymond doesn't realize the kind of damage water can do to a building. As someone who has had to battle some unplanned indoor swimming pools, trust me, I know, there's nothing good or fun about having to fight floodwaters. So these episodes don't necessarily have any uh, determined order. You can watch them in any order you want. Like, And I've noticed the last two seasons, we start off very strongly and then kind of end weekly. So I wonder if the producers of the show start the seasons with stronger episodes. As Presumably all eight weeks of worth of shows are done by the time it airs. It's not like there are any skip weeks. They start in September and are done by early November. So I'm guessing they just kind of start with the best and then go from there. Which could explain why the ending episodes are not inferior to what came before. It would have behooved them to mix them up a little bit and... Uh, we didn't even see Darkseid in these two stories. You would think that'd be one Darkseid story per half hour, but not the case here, that's for sure. Well, that's it for the Legendary Superpowers show. Like I said before, one more season of Super Friends left. But before I get to that, next time, I'm going to go back to live action with coverage of the Salkind's uh, 1984 detour, let's call it. The uh, feature film Supergirl, starring Helen Slater. Until then, want to leave feedback? It's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Till next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Manascreen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo 
and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Scream is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.